Back to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Clady. We're recording, still recording, from the ABA Tech Show 2023 in Chicago, Illinois. I have another great panel joining us today. Today is the day I'm talking about cryptocurrencies, and we were talking about non-fungible tokens. And we're going to continue that conversation, a little bit different tact on it. Now, uh, I've got Jessica Near McDonald. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And we have Jamie Saul. Yes. Did I get it right? Yes. I mean, that was a shot in the dark, too. So. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, welcome to the show, both of you. And if you just briefly tell me where you work, what do you do? That way the audience uh, knows where you're coming from. Yeah. So my name is Jessica Near McDonald. I'm an intellectual property attorney at Near MCD, which is a law firm I funded where we exclusively help clients with their IP issues. And we help a lot of native Web3 companies. So I'm excited to be talking about this issue. And you, Jamie. And I'm Jamie Zell. I am a tax attorney coming from Maine, and I specialize in working with e-commerce companies and tech companies all across the globe, really, and across the U.S. with their tax compliance issues. Um, and I'm just utterly fascinated with blockchain and taxes. It's a rapidly evolving, nascent issue. So, yeah. So you just got done speaking at a session called Web3 and Law Firm Financials. And so I want to change gears there and talk about uh, all of these tax implications and then some of the proving ownership implications as well. But first, I want to get your definition of this. We just had somebody define Web3 in a little bit of their take on it. And I, and I recognize, I'm beginning to recognize it means something a little different to different people. So why don't we get your take on what the Web3 environment is, the ecosystem, as you like to call it? Yeah. Um it's maybe more broadly thinking about a new iteration of the internet that's really focused on ownership. Ownership of digital assets. Absolutely. I like that. There you go. We need we one together. Oh, okay. <laughs> digital assets and data. And I like to think of it as kind of like the ultimate creator ecosystem that... Yeah, I like that. You know, you're kind of taking out the taking out the middleman, if you will, and letting a free market really operate itself directly between the creators and the people that find value in what they create and actually want to pay them for it. So now, I don't know if this is possible, but the next question, because it's a leadership leading to the ownership aspect of some of these digital assets in the Web3 environment. And so blockchain, what's its role with cryptocurrencies? Uh, what's its role with non-fungible tokens? What does it do? Simple explanation. Last time someone explained it to it, it got complicated. So <laughs> you can just like sum it down to one or two sentences. I like to think of blockchain like a big, you know, like your biology family tree, right? Blockchain is the technology. It's at the top. Cryptocurrency is a type of blockchain, or it is a, a form of recognizing and recording transactions on the blockchain. NFTs are a different form or application of blockchain. So you want to think of blockchain like the overall technology that powers Web3, the metaverse, and cryptocurrencies, smart contracts, NFTs as the specific ways that you interact with the blockchain, with the, with the technology. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way of putting it. And 
the fact that it is secured by cryptography, mm -hmm. um, the cryptocurrency, is a really important aspect for you to be able to trust it. And again, we're not, you know, going into too much, <laughs> trying to stay away from the really, really nitty gritty details there. But I will say that it's often lost on the fact that there are different types of cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. uh, so Bitcoin is a popular one that comes to mind. And then there's altcoins, alternatives to Bitcoins, essentially. So ETH, Ethereum, is, Ether is a, is a big one. You know, we talked in our presentation about Dogecoin. Uh, there were some laughs there. So different types, of, and that being more of a meme coin or a four-letter word with an S coin uh, <laughs> that are usually, you know, maybe uh, initially different purposes than some of the other coins. Also, stable coins, which I think would be remiss in not talking about, especially because we've seen the volatility of these altcoins and, and Bitcoin. Uh, we talked a lot about how Bitcoin was worth maybe about $1,000 in 2017. And in November 2021, it was around 48, actually, I'm sorry, 68,000, I believe. So it can, it can change. <laughs> and stablecoins offers an alternative. There's, there's different methods of uh, different types of stablecoins, but essentially they work towards giving some stability in a volatile environment. <laughs> okay, so that's what the blockchain uh, operates to do. Yeah. Uh, essentially, it's like a ledger system that sort of proves ownership yeah. in this environment. So the next series of questions has to do with uh, ownership. And so if you're the authentic owner, you've got several, as I understand how blockchain works, several different computing systems all sort of agreeing on the same take. It's like yes. this person mm -hmm. owns X, that person owns Y. And so from that point of view, you can prove who the original owner is. So is it, do I have that Correct so far, sort of? Yeah. I want to distinguish between ownership of the token, which is yeah. like the cryptocurrency or the NFT, and ownership of the underlying asset that may be tied to that token. Because yeah, while the blockchain may prove that you hold the rights to that token, you own that token, the blockchain is not necessarily going to prove that you own the underlying asset. And I know, uh, distinguish the difference between owning the token and owning the asset. Yeah, so for example, um, we heard earlier today that there could be NFTs tied to, you know, the latest Nike sneaker or the latest, you know, insert whatever, Hermes bag. I think that's, you know, the controversial <laughs> one, right, with the lawsuit recently. And you may own the token that ties to an image of the bag or ties to the bag itself or gives you the right to exchange for the sneaker. But you have to still look to contract law to say, all right, does this license give me ownership of the sneaker or of the Birkin bag or yeah. whatever it is? It's a different way of embodying kind of what rights do you have in something. So that there is a difference, but the blockchain and the way that the transactions are verified and proved by all of the nodes that interact with the network gives you verifiable I think ownership is perhaps the wrong word, but verifiable holding in the, the blockchain transaction itself. They can prove your provenance, prove that you hold it, it's in your wallet, that you are the right person to access it, and you have the key to your wallet. So yeah, I think that's what makes it trustworthy in that sense. And I am an IP attorney by trade, so I do. that's where my head goes. <laughs> um, and so when we see the word license, we're really talking about permissions. Yeah. Uh, so permission to use that digital asset in a commercial way or use it for even personal yeah. reasons, form your own business, whatever that may be. But an assignment is when you're assigning over all rights 
and that's really with regard to the underlying IP. So there's there's different layers here yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that. And I think just to go back backtrack a little bit, the difference between a, a fungible token and a non-fungible token, mm. I think also really matters there. And you gave a really good explanation on that one-of-one exchange earlier today. Yeah, like, you know, you think fungible tokens, those are cryptocurrencies, right? They're fungible because you can exchange one token of ETH for another token of ETH or one token of ETH for another unit in another cryptocurrency. They're fungible because they're exchangeable. Um, They're not unique in that. And you can break them apart into smaller units of value and do like a part of one unit as as being exchanged. Non-fungible tokens, they're like a thumbprint. They're unique. Everyone, every single one of them is different. You can't exchange one for the other and expect identical and equal value. That's what makes them valuable is that they are verifiably unique. So it's basically property or the right to use property is what we're talking about with a non-fungible right. yeah. token. And so uh, we talked about this a little bit on earlier podcasts, but just yeah. in case the listeners are tuning into this one first, uh, give us some examples of what non-fungible token that status is used for like the types of property so sometimes it's music sometimes it's art give us a list of examples that you've come across that uh, things that have become non-fungible tokens admissions tickets admissions tickets for sure there's i really love the use case we're here at a conference so uh you being able to show that you were here at this conference there's a company called poap proof proof of attendance protocol and so you can get an NFT. It's kind of like a commemorative for being here and it's in your wallet. You can see who else collected that NFT. And it's actually kind of neat because I've actually, I've compared with other people. Oh, I was at that event. And, you know, speculating earlier, but we heard a lot of talk at this conference about subscription services for lawyers and using an NFT or minting an NFT for your clients to prove that you subscribe to that service. Like you're in this, you know, unique club. So, yeah, those are more of the common uses of NFTs. We're seeing a lot of membership club tokens, so this kind of online yacht club example. Um, But it's it's nice. It's, you you know, there's a lot of different communities that maybe gather together because they're really into digital art or they very much like this aspect of the technology Mm -hmm. or there's so many different... I, we could be here for a very long time talking about the different well, it's use cases. exciting part. It's a new technology, right? So, like, we're talking about things that they're being used for now, and someone tomorrow is going to come up with a completely new way of using the tech. For That's sure. what makes it exciting. So once you establish that bundle of rights in this existence of property or the right to use something, then comes the very natural next step. How does the government tax it? So that's the, that's the very next step. So, and this gets complicated because different states have different rules. And yeah. also because there's an international component here because blockchain isn't just maintained within the domestic walls of the United States, yeah. it's worldwide. What do you do? What are the tax implications there? So I don't know if we can use a simple example, like let's use like an emoji that somehow becomes a uh, NFT and somebody buys and sells it. Uh, what are the taxable events that are created along the way here? <laughs> the seller of the, the NFT um, is going to receive cryptocurrency in exchange because at least for now, all NFT transactions are paid for in cryptocurrency. Um, so at the point in time that they receive the cryptocurrency, um, then you have two different tax worlds to start thinking about, right? You have the federal tax world and then you have the state and local tax world. Federally, you receive value of that transaction at the fair market value exchanged in fiat at the point in time of your transaction. So that's that's the kind of the value that you receive for your sale. But you have also sold a 
digital asset. And in the US right now, federally and in the States, those digital assets are treated as property. So you may have capital gain or capital loss, you know, because <laughs> the markets are volatile right now, um, on your sale of that asset. And depending on how long you held it, how long you had ownership or ha had rights to it, you could have short-term capital gains or losses or long-term capital gains or losses. And on the state side, the states are even further behind the, the feds in issuing guidance. Um, but states are saying that, you know, accepting cryptocurrency as a form of payment in many ways is treated like cash. Same thing with the federal government. You are recognizing at the fair market value in it, like in at the exchange rate for fiat at the moment that you receive payment, what the value of that transaction is. The other aspect that I think gets lost a little bit that I'm really fascinated. We've heard a lot more talk about income taxes and your income tax implication. What do you have to report to the IRS for your income? It's tax season, guys. File your tax returns on time. <laughs> um, my little plug for CPAs. But there's also a sales tax aspect to this, which I think is not getting a lot of conversation. When we talk about NFTs that are tied to digital assets, like the emoji in your example, a lot of states have come out to say digital goods, digital art, digital music, streaming, are taxable sales. And so when you sell the NFT that's tied to a digital asset as a seller, you may be obligated to collect sales tax <laughs> on that sale. It depends on your volume. It depends on what state you're in. And your, your question about the international aspect also raises a really another challenging point about state and local taxes, which is that you, know, you may know what wallet you're sending that NFT to, but you may not know where the holder of that wallet is geographically located. But for sales tax purposes and state tax purposes in general, you have to know that. You have to be able to put a geographic situs on the transaction to figure out what rules apply in the first place. Is it taxable? Is it not? Is it reportable? Is it not? And that is a real challenge in this world right now, given the anonymity, if you will, of where the holder of the wallet is actually located. So I got a question about uh, tax basis. So yeah. uh, say there's a domestic, just to keep it easy, domestic U.S., mm -hmm. pick a state, yeah. somebody uh, mints, I think that's the term, mints an NFT. So like, hey, I got this great uh, art, this picture I took a pe another picture of or whatever. Yeah. It's an original work. And so they mint it. It's not really worth anything. Does it start at basis zero? So it's like, I did this because I thought it was fun and hilarious. And all of a sudden this guy down the street wants to give me like $4 million for it. Why? <laughs> we don't know. What's well, going to be $4 million. So is that the basis, the like zero, and then you get taxed on the full $4 million of value? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so when does that yeah. take place? It, I mean, it, the next transaction starts at a basis of $4 million, right? Okay. Because that is the value that was established when it exchanged hands. But for something, you know, brand new, minted, never been transferred, never been transacted. Zero. Yeah. That is interesting. Okay. I mean, you might be able to claim that there's enough basis from, like, your materials and value spend in there. But I think... Hmm. You know, I'd have to look and see how states treat the basis of, of actual art or actual music, and, and and I think you'd look to that as well. That's interesting because when you create uh, when you create other products, you're not being taxed that way. You know, so you have raw materials that go into something. You're taxed at the sales tax level, maybe the income tax level because you have employees yeah. that do it. But you you start like say you're just building a widget. And widgets made out of aluminum, and it yeah. comes out. It's a really great looking widget. 
you like put all this money into it. You spend all this dough. It's not yeah. worth anything in particular. Yeah. All of a sudden, somebody's like, wow, that is the best looking widget I've ever seen. They yeah. give you $4 million for it. Now, is that sales tax or is that... Uh, I mean, there's probably an income tax aspect of it. The difference with income taxes and sales taxes is like you do get to deduct your basis or you do, do get to deduct your costs that go into it, right? With sales tax, you don't. It's on the total sales price. And it depends on each state whether or not it's going to be treated as taxable or not. Wow. If it's taxable, wow. it's taxable on the whole amount. Wow. Yeah. This gets complicated. <laughs> Very quickly. All right. Yes. So last question. <laughs> Last question for you before you wrap it up. Uh, so the ethical concerns. I understand there are uh, out there people are taking uh, they're taking uh, uh, cryptocurrencies uh, on behalf of their clients as as payment for legal services, but this is creating some ethical issues. So you could just briefly walk us through just a minute or more. Uh, we'd be fine because we got to close it out. But uh, just the ethical concerns. Yeah, sure. Um, it's the same ethical concerns that you have accepting money in general when it comes to isn't reasonable. The, there's a an interesting wrinkle um, that the IRS is treating cryptocurrency as property. So you have to look and evaluate what are your rules concerning accepting client property. And that really goes into when you're accepting things on an advanced basis. And I should say <laughs> that each state has their own rules when it comes to these things. Um, but not all the states have actually given an opinion or, or guidance to be able to help you uh, navigate those items. Like, for example, I believe it's North Carolina um, that does not allow you to accept cryptocurrency in in trust uh, or in escrow, but there's other states that have given opinions like Ohio, DC, Virginia, New York, Nebraska, and in the presentation we kind of got a kick out of Nebraska was the first, the first to give an opinion on accepting cryptocurrency, and that was in 2017. Food for thought here. I mean, uh, yeah, defining the, this environment and uh, all the regular, I mean, it's always so funny how uh, these new sort of products and services just yeah. trigger all kinds of uh, legal apparatus after yeah. they're created. So thank you so much for giving us the walkthrough. Obviously, growing space, I think, for law and lawyers need to keep uh, keep an eye on. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning in. And if you're here at ABA Tech Show, make sure to stop by our booth, 735 down in the Expo Hall. But if you're not here, do us a solid. Please subscribe or follow in your favorite podcasting app, or best yet, leave us one of those ratings in your favorite podcasting app. It's good for the network, good for the show. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Stitcher, all the major podcasting apps. Until next time, I'm Lawrence Coletti, and you can listen to On the Road, Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh -huh.